Hey there, welcome to the show. So spring has sprung and you know what? There's a little difference in the air. I don't know if you feel it, but I definitely do. You know, it's taking a look at the market, what's going on. Uh, by the way, got a great show planned for you today. Joining me here in the studio, I've got Bryn Lackey. She is a licensed realtor, full-time, by the way, um, from Chestnut Park Realty. She also writes a column with the Toronto Sun. I also have Dave Butler from BM Select Broker Owner. And, and uh, yeah, we're going to get into it. Well, you know, definitely today's going to be a fun day, so you don't want to miss out. Stay tuned for the entire hour. Going to be very exciting. And by the way, speaking of exciting, uh, I do have my simple seminar webinar coming up. That's right. It's just around the corner. That's Thursday, April the 27th at 7 p.m. You're going to want to join in for sure. You know, maybe here in the studio, because I do have a special release coming out. I haven't told anybody too much about it, but you don't want to miss out on this. It is a new location, and I'm pretty sure people are going to be very, very excited about it. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. You don't want to miss this. If you can't join us in studio, make sure that you join us on our webinar. So I promise you, it will be very exciting. But um, speaking of exciting, you know, keeping my eye on the market right now, we see all sorts of things coming through. Headlines, uh, of course, coming into a spring market, they always go ballistic. And, you know, really, the question is, what can you believe? You know, some of the stuff that's being dribbled out by a few people that really shouldn't have a pen in their hand or, for that matter, a computer. But, you know, big picture stuff, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in my guest now sitting here in the studio with me. Bryn, Dave, welcome back. Hello. Thank you very much. Always great to have the two of you in. You know, it gives us uh, a little bit of diversity, which is awesome. Um, you know what, Bryn? I'm going to just go like full pull right out of the gate. I want to talk to you about obviously what some people are experiencing uh, in the real estate world. You know, uh, you wrote a great article and I, 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 I was so pleased to see it. You know, and, and, and I'm going to be very, very clear. I'm not putting a target on part-timers back, but I'm going to be very clear that I don't believe anybody should be a part-time realtor. And now, you know, the part-timers are really starting to feel it. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a whole cohort of agents who got licensed through COVID when um, there was so much business out there. There were so many deals flying around out there that you could just grab onto one you know, white knuckle right through it as a new agent and figure it out. Um, I think almost universally understood is the fact that you learn by doing this business. There is a category of theory we need to know. So these people, myself included, we get licensed having taken the tests and knowing the answers to the questions and understanding the history of, you know, the title system. <laughs> um, but then there's actually what you learn by doing and the nuance of how deals come together and the pitfalls and the challenges. And I think that what I know now, after 12 years of doing this, I look back at some of the things I did in the beginning and I go, ooh, you know, okay, good thing that I had great people looking over my shoulder and making sure that the wheels were staying on the bus. I don't know how that works when you're in a part-time situation where you learn by transacting. And it was going so fast and furious through COVID with such rapid appreciation that I think a lot of people sort of got away with not being at their sharpest. And now I think that that's really coming home to roost. It's a full-time job with full-time consequences. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that I kind of look at is, you know, when we talk about real estate, um, you know, I consider it a real profession. Okay. This is, this is, this is one of those things that when we take a look at it, it is a true profession when practiced full-time. You know, people do have to take update courses. They do have to understand marketing. They do have to understand construction. They have to understand how to work with 
engineers, lawyers. Like, I mean, there is a gamut of a real estate transaction that I don't think you can just leave to chance where somebody swings in because their friend says, hey, I want to buy a house, you know, like 20 kilometers from any area that you know anything about. And I want you to pop in because you're my friend and I want you to write the transaction for me um, because I trust you. And, and, and my problem with that in itself is, okay, you trust them. Well, then your friend who you trust should tell you, I don't know enough about the neighborhood. You, they need to walk away. And, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you go to the dentist, you know, every six months, let's say, but if the dentist is actually also, you know, and, and nothing wrong with a driving range pro, but let's say that's what he does. Right. Or you take a look at somebody that, and, and again, I'm not going to harsh on teachers, but you know, teachers, for example, you know, when you, and, and, and I know everybody, you know, listen, we appreciate supply teachers. There's a necessity for it, but you want, you stick a supply teacher into a classroom and they don't know what's being taught that day. Maybe they do, but quite frankly, they can't just hop in and take over. Well, it's no different in a real estate transaction. Somebody that comes in and doesn't know the house, for example, like the first time somebody sells a townhouse, what do you know about a townhouse? What do you know about the status certificate? What do you know about the common elements? What do you know? Well, you don't because you don't do it enough. And so this is where, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I get a little, you know, off and crazy about it. I'm, I'm, you know, the, the, the part, yeah. the part timers, you know, when they're now crying and, and you wrote a great article about it, folks, you can catch it in the Toronto Sun, but bring your article is to the point. It's sort of like you're whining because you're missing that deal and a half now because you thought you were subsidizing your income. So yes, I did write an article about that because I was quite, I was incensed and it was almost irrational, but I read this article of someone saying, oh, it's so hard. You know, I can't find the two deals to make my year anymore. Going, ooh, like on every level, it kind of is, is vile to me because guess what? The public already thinks we're overpaid. The public already thinks we are not professionals. The public already thinks that we are so self-absorbed that we come first and their best interests come second. So I think that platforming people like that is, is irritating to me and offensive to me. Um, I think that there's a second layer of that whole discussion that has to do with how we license agents. You know, we give them a license, we unleash them, and they learn by doing. Um, there is no, I used to be a teacher once upon a very long time ago. Um, you are, you do practicum, you are a student teacher, you're under someone's watch. I'm still surprised that there's nothing like that, that we are not required for the first year of our license to be, you know, under supervision of someone while we transact. That does not exist. So when you have people out there saying, oh, it's so hard, I'm going to actually have to go back as, you know, I don't have a whole year's salary being brought in in a deal and a half, like, sorry, no one cares. <laughs> speaking of caring, Dave, you know, we haven't heard from you yet today. <laughs> Hi, Dave. Uh, speaking of not caring, um, so Dave, you know, Bryn makes some some great points. And, and like I said, I did like the article because quite frankly, when, when people are crying, woe is me, you got into it because you wanted to make a quick buck. Now the quick buck's not there anymore. Now you're going to complain about the quick buck. Okay. Um, in the world of mortgages, of course, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of in sync, you know, you've yeah. got the same situation. Tell us, like, are, are you seeing this? I mean, are, is your phone ringing where a bunch of people are saying, Hey, I'm a mortgage broker. I should come and work for you. Cause you can give me free leads. Well, we, we, it's funny that it, I'm actually getting calls from experienced mortgage agents that are actually saying, Hey, it's time for a change. And I think we all kind of saw this coming because when, you know, things are all great, you're usually not looking to make a change. And then when things are not so great, 
you kind of think, well, maybe it's not this, it's that, and maybe changing is going to do something. So I've been getting a host of emails from lots of different agents saying, hey, it's time for a change. I want to do this, I want to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to, you know, Bryn brought up a great point. It was, you know, when you start off in a full-time profession, your first year or two are really the ones where you're cutting your teeth and you're really like, that's, those are the ones that really form you and, and, and really push for that next part of your career development. You know, the thing about part-time is again, we're not putting them down, but it's the development is much slower. If you're not doing the same amount of deals as a full-time person, then your learning and your education is not the same. And I think that's what hurts then. And I, we, we talked about this earlier was that, you know, I, as a mortgage broker, will get calls from clients saying, hey, I'm in a pickle. I'm closing in 10 days. I was working with a, a mortgage agent that's brand new to it. That was a fr family friend. My deal's all screwed up. He says I can't get the mortgage now. What do I do? Well, now I got to come in. And, and, and this is just part of the game. But now as an experienced agent, I have to come in. I have to take time away from other files and clients that I was planning to work on to now save this deal. And to be fair, that's, that throws everything into a bit of a pickle. So it's from a from a efficiency standpoint, I love the fact of getting better licensing. You know, I love the one year idea. I mean, some of the best clients, or sorry, people that have worked for me, were they sat and w mentored underneath me for a year, and then turned out to be just blooming flowers. Yeah, it's, it's blooming like a doctor. Yeah, blooming flowers. But it, it, yeah, hey, spring. Uh, but it's like a doctor in a residency. Right? Yeah, like you know, you don't sit there and turn around. So so they they graduate, you know, from medical school, and all of a sudden say, okay, let's throw that heart transplant <laughs> in there. Um, no, you 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 serve under somebody. You know, you are somebody's assistant, you are a resident, you have to learn the trade. You know, Brent, I think it's a great idea. You know, will will anybody pull that off? It's actually not a bad idea that there would be some form of residency into the actual profession itself and or number of hours, right? It, it's sort of like the apprentice when you, when you turn around, if you're a licensed electrician, if you become a plumber, 100%. you know what? So I'll tell you what, you work with a professional realtor, you put in 2000 hours and we'll cut you loose. Right. And that way, you know, because we always talk about making the industry more professional, bringing it up to another level. Great idea. It's, I think it works why brokerage is sort of shifting their perspective on what their obligations are to their agents and to the public. I think they're the missing piece here. I think that when in the past I've, you know, joined you and I've complained about the way realtors carry on on social media, I think that that's something where if brokerages were accountable for, you know, what their agents were out there doing and saying, I think that suddenly we would have a little bit more oversight and accountability. I think this is an easy one. I think that um, right now the interesting part is there's a shift towards teams. I think a lot of new agents, if they have social connections, teams are happy to have them. You bring us your leads and we will do the deal. I think that that's sort of taking care of that. But during this downtime in the industry, when our transaction volume is low and brokerages have time to be making a change to Dave's point. I think this is an interesting thing to consider because I also know a lot of people, the best agents I know, we all worked under someone when we started because you come into this well aware of what you don't know. And if you're coming into this going, oh no, I got this, no big deal, run screaming because yeah. that is not a good thing. Yeah. yeah, great point. So we're gonna go to a quick break, but folks, when we come back, I'm gonna have more with Bryn Lackey, Dave Butler. Um, and by the way, if you're not following me on Instagram, the simple investor one, uh, some great posts. My uh, my producers have been hard at it, and uh, check us out. Anyways, we'll be right back after this.
And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest this hour joining me in studio, Bryn Lackey. She is a licensed realtor as well. She writes a column for the Toronto Sun. And I've got Dave Butler. He is the broker owner at BM Select. And uh, Dave, just before the break, you know, we were we were just bringing up the fact of professionalism in the industry and everything else. And, you know, we're, it, it's interesting because as people turn around and say that the market seems to have gone gone south on us, Let's let's talk about obviously the the rationale behind it. You know, we talk all the time with you regarding the Bank of Canada rate. We talk about the U.S. Fed. You know, there's some announcements coming up right now. You know, fingers crossed. They're saying Bank of Canada is going to stay put. Yeah, I think I I even went out on a, on an email newsletter to our clients and said I'm, I'm I'm making a prediction. I do not believe they will move the prime rate. I believe it will stay the same. Um, just makes sense. You know that that last CPI print that we had showed inflation on a, on a, on a nice cruise downwards. Um, I think, you know, a cool thing also actually, so next week it's going to be, uh, Wednesday, the 12th, you've got a Canadian interest rate announcement, same day, you've got us CPI coming out. So we'll get a good idea what's going on there. That should have some bond yield movement as well. Right. Um, and then the following week on the 18th, we have the Canadian uh, CPI coming down. So if you can get you know, another good chunk down. I think we were just ended up at 5.2. You know, I think looking at the numbers and delving a little bit deep, I think we got a chance at getting around a four and a half print potentially in that range. Um, that that should start to hopefully uh, send the bond market past some of the support levels that it's been hitting. We've been seeing the bond yields in Canada trading in a, in a pretty wide range for the last little while and what that indicates is that you know it, there's there's bets on both ways you know and so we're about to see where it goes the good news is on the yield is that we're seeing it trade in the lower part of the range and so you know as a it, it, a lot of traders would say that's potentially a good outlook for the future but again we'll see we need cpi to keep coming down for the for the central banks to be able to make any other moves yeah so when we talk about the the central banks you know and, and of course we refer to everybody here at bank of canada um you know, part of that, the idea that's, you know, we're stalling out a little, of course, we, we are just teetering on that recession, you know, it, it, it's there, it's sitting in the wings, you know, we know inflation is, is starting to come down. Very, very important. Uh, but one of the things that you and I talk about, and we've talked about it for years is that as we kind of ease into the spring market, we know that some of the banks are sitting there saying, Hey, wait a minute, what about us? Maybe we, maybe we should be able to offer out some deals. I'm going to tell you, I've seen, I'm not going to call them A lenders. I'm going to call them B lenders, but I've seen some interesting rates floating around. Yeah. Like I saw, you know, one of my, one of my investors got a four, five, nine for a five year, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a special rate. And I'm sure there's a bunch of conditions that I haven't seen on the paperwork, yeah. but there is, this, you know, there, there, there's that whisper that's coming up that we're going to start seeing some discounts. So tell us about it. Well, we, we, we've been saying for, oh, I don't know how long now that, you know, 399, you know, on a five-year fix was a real sweet spot to get the market going again and get it back to more of a balance like 2018, 2019 uh, area. So four and a half, 4.6 in that range, we're getting there. I mean, you know, the, the, again, the bond yields are, you know, to get a 399 rate, you really need the, the five-year yield to be sitting at about two and a half percent for a good amount of time. And you also need inflation fears to have dissipated. Um, we're at two eight and change on the bond yield. I mean, we're we're not that far. So I mean, you know, you you start you're starting to see some of the inflation risk premium coming out of the pricing, and that's actually why we're seeing some of these lower rates. But yeah, I mean, four and a half, 
definitely good. Um, and, and certainly something that is helping with affordability as some of the prices have slowly come down, but we're also seeing, and I'm sure you guys can comment on this. I'm, I'm seeing some stuff about bidding wars like crazy and prices starting to slowly <laughs> yeah. bottom out. So, <laughs> so sorry, you hear the big sigh or the quarter from Bryn here and dejected <laughs> moan. Yeah. So, you know, Bryn to kind of hop on what Dave was saying about interest rates. Yeah. We're, we're starting to see some downward pressure from a fix, not to forget about the variable for a second. But yeah, you know, the market itself, let's, let's talk about the market. Cause right now, you know, there are those, Hey, there's some bidding wars floating around. Yes. There's no inventory right now. Um, tell us where we're at. So I know that we all typically hear real estate agents go, Oh, bidding wars are back. 17 offers. Look at all these shoes at the open house. And we go, okay, here they go again. <laughs> I am watching this. And as much as I couldn't believe it could be so, because we are still hovering around five, you know, 5% rates which should have people hiding in their closets um 17 offers on houses in midtown we are having three bully offers on day one things that are going way over where we're back to again having questions of will that even appraise you know if you had told me like we're seeing peak behavior again whether or not we're seeing peak numbers obviously not but we're it's ticking upwards but i think the real issue is you know, we're going to butt end up against affordability. There's only so high it can go. We, you know, the stress test, what are people having to stress test at? We're, I mean, some depending on the product, you could be anywhere between six high sixes and then low eights. Yeah, like it doesn't matter how much you want that house or how much you're emotionally ready to get back in the game, you are going to run up against a brick wall of affordability. So it's happening, but, you know, I it's a very strange time because I have, I have buyer clients who want to sit back and wait. You know, they saw a pretty precipitous decline and then activity drop off. And now I'm going, ooh, those clients who saw those houses that were just luffing in the breeze in January and February, that was a moment that in retrospect, they will see they missed. See, here's here's part of my problem when we use the word affordability. Okay. And, uh -uh. and, and, and no, but no, but it's a real problem. Okay. We, you know, we, we got to call a spade a spade. What is affordable? Not this. No, but, but here's, here's the thing. Recent, recent, you know, release that just came out said that affordability today is worse than it was two years ago, even though we were taking a look at increasing prices, but we had low interest rates, mm -hmm. right? So I think the government in their attempt, and I, and I use the word attempt because I, I don't even want to use a word attempt because I don't think they really did anything. I just think they wanted to screw the market, but they turned around and, you know, some of their campaign promises. And, and again, we've got politicians saying the same thing. We're going to make real estate affordable. You're not going to make real estate affordable. Like, this is the thing. What is affordable? Well, affordable has to match up with a whole lot of things other than just a dollar amount. Mm -hmm. It's the replacement cost, worrying about the material, worrying about the location, everything about it. And all these people are screaming affordability. I mean, I, I was hearing from some people sitting there saying, we think the market should drop by 40% as far as value. That's how much it's overpriced. And I call BS on that because that's not what's the truth. And so, you know, when you hear somebody saying, you know, I'm looking for something affordable, I don't believe in the word. I mean, it's, it's actually changed. Affordable once meant comfortably within a range of a certain percentage of your, you know, after tax income, taking away, you know, child, you know, all that stuff. There was a, it was a complicated arithmetic that depended on your personal circumstances. Affordable now, and I'm sure that Dave can attest to this, is now what will the bank give me and what can I carry and sleep at night? because that's the only metric because if we're actually talking about what's affordable um you know by any original sense of the word we're well past that and for affordability to return we need to somehow have 
3 million houses appear on the marketplace in the next five years. We need, you know, we can start the whole range of things that <laughs> happen. But like for, we need a catastrophe and then a solution. But affordability, as we once understood it to be, that's gone now. Well, if you talk, if you talk about affordability, you like when we talk about the government trying to make things more affordable, what did they do? They increased, they increased the stress test to make it that much harder by 60%. Okay, so it's 60% harder to qualify, but yet the price has only dropped by 15. So to your point, Todd, that is 100% correct. Affordability today is way different than it was even in the peak madness. Yeah, yeah and this is this is the thing. It's like they can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I don't know. And and, and Bryn, I was just going to throw in uh, anybody that wants to vote for Bryn to be the mayor of Toronto. <laughs> I think, you know, at least she understands the housing issue. I mean, I'm not sure how many of the candidates actually like keyed in on some of our stuff we were talking about <laughs> as far as, you know, some of the stuff that the mayors need to do. But I got to tell you, you know what? I don't think there's a solution, um, at least not one that's going to be short term. And especially when we're talking about the necessity for properties. I mean, here in Ontario, you know, we, we have right now we're running with a million unit shortage, period. You know, you dump in 250, 300,000 people into Toronto area every single year. We're, we're, we can't build fast enough. In fact, as, as you said, uh, Brendan, I know it was kind of tongue-in-cheek that we need 3 million properties. No. I got, <laughs> in 10 years, I'm going to tell you, we've got a shortage of 3 million properties. So where is that going to come from? I don't know. You know what? I'd love to create all the solutions, but we're not going to do it this hour. But, of course, we've got more when we come back from our, our break. I've got Bryn Lackey in-house here with me. Uh, great conversation. Bryn is a professional realtor. She is with Chestnut Park Realty. Also, you can catch uh, Bryn writing some columns in the Toronto Sun. You know, they're very, very thoughtful reading. You should do it. Uh, and, of course, Dave Butler, BM Select. Yeah, his team, I got to tell you, top-notch. Yeah, he will rescue you. He doesn't like to have to rescue when, <laughs> when it's that last second pull to get a mortgage done. But I can tell you, he's definitely got the group that does it. So when we come back, we've got more. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guests this hour, sitting here in the studio at The Simple Company with me, uh, I've got Bryn Lackey. She's a professional realtor. She is with Chestnut Park. And I've got Dave Butler, broker owner of BM Select. Um, Dave, I'm going to go to you with this next one because, you know, I find it interesting. Uh, and of course, immediately, the media wants to pick up on the fact that, you know, cottage sales are down a little. And, you know, some people were using the numbers that, you know, February, like January, February 22, you know, people, they, they saw 34 sales in that marketplace in the Halliburton area. Now this year it's down to 24. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the analysis here and I'll let you weigh in on it because you're a cottager, I'm a cottager, you know, um, one of the big things is that I think what people don't realize is that cottage country doesn't have an endless number of cottages built okay a lot of this stuff gets handed down through the generations and you know this is this you know i you know i'm an example of it and you know where my cottage is i can tell you that they're they're on like their third fourth fifth generation of people it being passed down to and of course it gets watered down because you know your parents originally buy it there's two kids then the two kids becomes you know, they, they inherit it and then their kids. So now we're down to four kids, now four owners, then eight owners, and, and it gets watered down. And I think what happened was people saw an opportunity with COVID to sell some cottages because there was some peak pricing going. But for people to naturally turn around and say, oh, everybody's walking away from cottage life. They're not going to be able to sell them anymore. Again, I call foul on that because I think it's misreporting. Yeah, a little, little premature, I would say. Also, 
you know, if you're going to try to call some type of, you know, metric on cottage sales, you should probably do it in the summer. You know what I mean? There's, there's a lot of cottages are just shut down. Like you and I know there's people that shut their cottage entirely down for the winter. They're not using it for six months. No real estate agent wants to show, you know, a, a home that's been shut down, has no running water, has cobwebs everywhere. You know what I mean? So you've got that. And I mean, to your point, you know, that you bring up actually a really good point that I don't think a lot of people sit and realize we can fix this problem here in the GTA and on Ontario with regards to basic housing by just building, you know what I mean? There's lots of land, we can build it. But to your point with cottages, you can't make new lakes. You're not, that's not going to happen. You can't make new bodies of water and then start putting new homes around them. So there is the only real construction that's going to go on in the cottage country is going to be on existing, you know, lots that are being redone by, and, and, and a lot of it is we get lots of calls. It's, Hey, you know, something's happened, sad, but you know, there's, we've had a change in our family. My mom and dad are, are passing the cottage on to us. My brother, sister, we want to take it over, but we want, it's, it's a pretty outdated. So we want to do some rentals to it. And that seems to be a big thing. And, and you're right. I mean, listen, when you got mania and you got people throwing out really wild prices, it's hard for some people to turn down, you know, the opportunities of a lifetime, but now with stabilization, you know, with, with affordability and with rates and, and maybe the mania not being so crazy, I think you're just seeing a natural progression to cottage. But again, let's, you know, anyone writing an article trying to, you know, call some type of top or bottom on cottage sales, you're doing it in the wrong time if you're doing it in the winter. Yeah. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, especially if the weather's not very nice, people don't have access to it. You know, there's not that many four seasons cottage. There are some people that do it, but not so much. And Bryn, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we talk about the emotions when we talk about somebody selling their primary residence, right? Like, you know, I know you deal with a lot of people that, you know, they're in their final home, they're considering on, you know, packing in, retiring potentially. When we take a look at the cottage, you know, cottages, that's a massive emotional situation. It's tough to sell cottages. And I don't think people realize that is that, that if you sell a cottage, you know, you're basically walking away from all the family members and all the memories you create. And yeah, I get it. Primary residents are like that too, but cottages just have this different feel to them. Right. And, you know, you've got, you know, siblings, cousins, grandchildren. I mean, like I said, you know, in, in, in the area that I've got a cottage, you know, I think you see like one, we've seen one sale in 15 years because nobody's willing to give it up where, you know, on any residential street, you can still see at least one year. Yeah. I think there's natural turnover in your primary residence. Um, I was very fortunate growing up in that I had lots of friends who had lots of family cottages that their grandparents bought, you know, back in the days of the first Trudeau and um, so I had this really great experience and my goal of marrying someone the cottage didn't pan out, but um, I know how to be a house guest. But what I notice now, and this is interesting, um, and this being my limited experience of cottages, is now you're seeing people where because things can go so sideways within families trying to allocate cottages and figure it out, um, I've heard of several cases where they're selling the cottage specifically because you know, the, the, the parents are getting older and they do not want the family to implode over this. So they're selling it. And then here is, you know, here are the proceeds. You go figure it out and you go figure it out. And we're not going to have this be the end of the family. Um, so I think that's part of it. And that's almost a testament to how emotional it can be. You know, family drama over cottages, I think is a very uniquely Canadian thing. Um, <laughs> but that's real. And I think that it transitions of all kinds are emotional. I think that there's something about the very 
um, the long history of some of these cottages within families that make it even harder. And also the other part that I hear a lot about is carrying a cottage in, in today's day and age when the carrying costs for your home, for your childcare, for all, you know, your commute, all of those things. You can inherit a cottage, as I've heard some of my, you know, some of my peers and my clients, but the property taxes on them, the carrying costs alone are almost prohibitive unless you really, now some of these cottages are being passed down with a trust to carry them. No, and that, that's a really good point. You know, we've, we've, Dave and I've, you know, chatted about that kind of stuff, um, obviously, because we, you know, being cottagers and we have clients that are cottagers, things like that. That is a very, very good point because back, you know, years and years and years ago when our grandparents or parents kind of started out playing with this stuff, um, you know, you normally were more seasonal, like, you know, normally it was just the summer, everybody shut it down. You know, taxes weren't nearly as high. The cottages weren't nearly as extravagant. You know, people weren't using them at the same level. And then now you look at today and, you know, some of these cottages are, are like these monster cottages and, you know, for people to pass them down, Bryn, you make a great point. It does divide a family. In fact, I've seen neighbors that the family basically imploded because of a cottage where like siblings haven't talked to each other in like 20 years just because you know they thought that you know one wanted to keep the cottage and the other one didn't want to keep the cottage and so they said forget it force the sale one sibling's really pissed okay. and that there you go and those are family memories too like that's the added layer to it is people aren't always at their coolest when they're trading in the real estate that is their families you see this in selling mom and dad's home after they pass away um, and that's where I work a lot with sort of families in transition. And it's in moments like that that it's really hard to keep the wheels on the bus when there's the emotional layer to it that isn't about the, you know, the dollars and cents and the facts and the figures. It's about it what it all represents. And I think that in cottage country especially, that's even more heightened. Yeah. And Dave, you know, this is this is one of the things I think you experience because there are those people that, you know, you did mention that people will come in and get a mortgage to you know, do renovations, but there's also the ones getting the mortgage to pay out the other sibling. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's always going to be that. Um, and then we've also had situations where, you know, one of the siblings did take over the home and then we got to call a year later because he's, it's too much for him. You know, he, he had to pay someone to drop the dock. He had to do it. all these things that believe it or not, mom and dad were doing before <laughs> and he didn't realize. And, and, and so that happens too, but you know, there's also another part that, you know, maybe some of these, you know, cottages aren't selling and maybe some people aren't listing their cottages because there has become such a crazy Airbnb, um, situation with cottages in Ontario. Right. So, you know, we, we're now at a point where, you know, if you have a vacation property, things are running tight. That's usually the first thing you're going to get rid of. I, oh, well, I'm not going to, I don't want to sell my principal residence. I'll sell the vacation home. Well, you almost don't have to sell it now because if it is a marketable property on Airbnb or for a short-term rental, you can actually take in money and that can help pay not only the mortgage, but actually help you pay your mortgage on your current residence. So why do you want to sell it then? So that was a fun column when I wrote about, should we get rid of Airbnb? I don't know <laughs> if you caught that one, Todd, but I got some real, I got some love letters from people. When you look at the consequences of Airbnb, the unintended consequences of how it sort of upset the apple cart in recreational properties. If you go to Gravenhurst, the fact that everybody has to have licenses in their windows now, you go to condos downtown, all of those things. Um, it is a real factor that I think doesn't get enough attention. 
for just how insidious and how dominant Airbnb now is in in sort of navigating some of these submarkets. It was a micro factor before. It seems like after COVID, it's become a All macro factor. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of factor, I think the facts are we're coming up to our next break. But um, folks, if you uh, if you haven't signed up for the Simple Seminar webinar coming up on April the twenty seventh, go to simpleinvestor.com. Uh, it's at 7 p.m. You can join me here in studio as well. You can join us via a webinar. Going to be a real exciting night to have a special release. That's right. But you're only going to find out about it that night. So if you can, make sure you go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register. When we come back, I've got more with Dave and Brent. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back. You know, it's amazing how quick an hour can go by. And here we are in the final legs. And, uh, and I've got Bryn Lackey joining me, Dave Butler, in studio. Been a bit of fun conversation and uh you know still so much we could unfold so let's start off uh this segment Bryn I'm gonna throw it to you um vacancy in uh commercial in Toronto it's struggling like you know they're they're finding more and more people they're making their offices a little smaller there's Toronto is the leading city for people not coming back to work they're still all working remotely I mean I think it's because they all moved to Bancroft and can't get back <laughs> um yeah, it's it's real. And I think the you know, collateral effects of what that must mean for all those businesses down in the path. I think about that. Um, when I look at some of how other cities have dealt with this, when you look at some of the conversions from office building to residential, I'm wondering if that will be something they talk about during the election, because that would be an interesting one. You've got office buildings where at least we can lean into the remote work culture now and and that might solve some, you know, and do one little drop in the bucket of solutions. Well, you get your three-minute city, right? I mean, you oh. just have to worry about the elevator. Exactly. You can, <laughs> and on the, you're th already on, the third, on the third floor, you go to school. On the fifth floor, you do your groceries. <laughs> and on the 24th floor is your place. And your therapist <laughs> is downstairs. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of those necessary, Video. I think, with these situations that keep arising. But Dave, you know, it's one of those things, you know, and, and here, here's an example, you know, here, here, because of the way we work and everything else, you know, we've never been a remote company. Um, but for yourself, um, you know, you, you did convert into the remote, um, avenue. We, we are part of the stats. Yeah. We're, we're, we, 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 at one point we were 50 people working entirely remote and, uh, no, we've, you know what, for us, uh, I think I said this before, we, it really, by about 2017, clients kind of stopped coming in to meet with your broker. They wanted, we, we, we really had to switch and our, our in-person meetings started being phone meetings. And then, you know, as things were going on, you could kind of see some of the tech was starting to change with, um, Skype, obviously at the, you know, it was becoming a thing. And then you could start to see the wheels turning with some of the bigger tech companies. But yeah, I mean, for us, it was funny when I signed uh, our last five-year lease in 2017, end of 2017, I had said to my business partner, Dan, at the time, I said, I have a feeling that this will be the last lease we ever signed. And I'm obviously like, you know, I, things, pandemic happened, sped things up, but it was because for many, many years, I was working from my cottage. I didn't want to drive two hours back on Sunday night. I, I, I was in a position where I could work completely from my laptop, get everything done, all my work done, and my staff work from the office. And it was just like at a certain point, you're starting to go, okay, well, if I can do it, others can do it. But then you have to be, it's, it gets very tricky because not every single person is going to thrive in that type of environment. Yeah, and was, just, we know this, right? I so. was just going to say that actually, because Bryn, you know, like realtors for many, many years were notorious from doing the, you know, wake up, you know, kind of cruise through, you know, the newest listings at home and eventually show up, let's say around noon. 
Um, but that's not the best thing for a lot of people in business. I will say that realtors might have that perception, but having worked in particularly my brokerage that has some really strong performers sort of within Trev, they're in the office at 9 a.m. It's a real, you know, they're there. So they're late. Oh, even how <laughs> part of your Friday Arm Club. But, um, you know, even through COVID, they were like breaking in because th that culture, that rhythm is so important to them. I think that there are people for whom the rhythm and the routine is important. If you have small children, as I do, getting to the office where I can actually respond to an email without having to hide from a child who might know I'm upstairs because he can hear me breathing, <laughs> you know, my productivity is infinitely greater. Will that ebb and flow? Yes. Some people, they really need that sort of rhythm to their workflow like I do. Um, other people, they have the self-discipline to do it from their cottage. Well then, <laughs> good for you. Um, and I think there's a lot of gaps in between. But from a management perspective, I don't know how you'd be managing a young team now just through you know the honor system. Because I think a lot of people, they need sort of physical, um, not oversight, but collaboration. And I don't know how you do that from home. We figured it out, but... I don't think it's sustainable. It's tough. It's not easy. It's not. I mean, we, we, we had to really, I mean, cause you can't, you know, you could do the thing where you're like, Hey, everyone go on your you know, video so we can watch you all day. And that just seems, you know, that, that doesn't seem right. So in the end, we had to end up building within our office processing system, a lot of metrics and, uh, testing, if you will, to figure out who was performing and much different. Cause you can walk when you're in an office, you can actually go in and see if work's getting done. But when, you know, you're not in an office with that person and you don't see if they're there, even there, the only rate, the way to really gauge whether they're getting the work done is through their work, through their metrics. And so we had to pump up. That was a big, you know, it was a huge cost to us, you know, that we had to actually get an infrastructure that was able to show that to us. But that's helped. And I'll be honest with you, the, the younger, we got really lucky, younger generation. We got a bunch of people that were going to university during COVID that were having to actually do the university from home. So we actually, some of them, when our first interview question with some of these university recruits, we'd say, how do you like doing school from home? And the ones that said we hate it, obviously, sadly, that's not a good fit for us. But the ones that said they love it, that became, now you get the next interview. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a great point. So um, final thought uh, for today, Brent, I'm going to throw it to you first. Um, so massive chunk of Toronto's Kensington market down for sale for $24 million dollars. You know, I know there's a lot of people out there that are going to jump on the historic uh, version of this immediately. And I kind of understand it. Kensington's got this kind of, you know, kind of fun vibe to it for a lot of people. Um, what's your take? Should we should we whack it and make something nice and clean and new? Gentrification comes for us all. You know, water travels downstream. It's just, it is what it is. It will happen. And I think that uh, it's part of a broader conversation about certain people really want things to stay the same. I'm not blindly pro-development by any stretch, but I also think that it's part of the broader conversation of there are a lot of people who would love nothing to ever get built ever, nothing to ever change ever. We've got to protect the sanctity of history. And that's, yes, that's true. We have to be mindful of it, but we are in a housing crisis and we are in, you know, and someone will say, well, that's not what this is. Brent, nice try. I don't know the particulars. I do know that gentrification is a thing. Um, that comes for us all. But I think that ultimately the same people who are going to really oppose that, they're the same ones who are opposing six buildings on Young Street, seven, you know, seven steps from transit, which happens to include me. I have a 14-story building going up essentially in my backyard. And as much as, and I think we've spoken about this, as much as the last thing I want is a building in my backyard, I recognize it should not be my choice. So 
you know, you live in a city, this is part of it. We need buildings, we need infrastructure, we need housing. So it is what it is. Dave? Fair point. I mean, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing to deny there. I mean, as far as what's coming up, it's just a big week. We've got a big week coming up and, uh, uh, the next following week, we've got some big stuff. I, I think this hey, is going to be- Hang on, you're dancing. I was asking about the Ken's again. Yeah. <laughs> right well, that. Yeah. Well, you don't, you don't want to have an appointment. I, you know, that's got my, my, listen, you know, from my standpoint, I want, I, I, I am a guy that wants affordability and housing. And so when you see such a large area and you know it, it, it's natural to me and it, it, i echo exactly what brent says you you as much as we might want to keep these historical things alive it, it the reality is is that we are in a housing crisis and i and I, even though yeah, you, know, you kind of sheepishly pull away from it it's like no it's it's especially in toronto because we know all these people that are coming to this country there's a million people came okay who, what, what city do they know the most when they come to Canada? Sure. It's not Ottawa. It's not, sorry, it's not our capital. It's not, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a little BC, but aside from that, and maybe a little bit of Alberta, but no one's coming here going, I can't wait to get to my new home in Saskatchewan. You know, I can't wait to get to my new home in downtown Winnipeg. It's Toronto. So when we're talking about a housing crisis and we're talking about lots of people entering Toronto, it just makes absolute sense to me that some of these older pieces of property they're taking up large size of land would end up being part of what is going to have to happen in the future. Yeah. Well, clearly you've never gone moose tipping in Saskatoon. So, you know, I got to tell you, Dave, you know, I'm a little disappointed because it definitely has its draw. And speaking of draw, that's it. I think we finally come to, we're going to draw this one closed, but um, I do want to thank both the uh, Bryn and Dave for, for joining me here in studio as usual. Obviously, you know, we have a lot of fun with this. And uh, if you want to catch some of our stuff, make sure you go to the Simple Investor One on Instagram. You know, we've got a lot going on nowadays. And I uh, have to thank my producers for doing that. And speaking of, um, coming up, producing uh, Thursday, April the 27th. Don't forget, it's the Simple Seminar webinar. You don't want to miss out on this one. Something very, very special is going to be released and you can go to the simpleinvestor.com to register for that. But I do want to thank um, Aiden, my producer, who's doing this week's show as well. Ian Grant, our guy there at uh, the main studio, he makes sure that I don't swear or you at least don't hear it. And on top of that, I do want to thank you for making us the number one real estate talk show. And of course, I will be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.